0: Listen now to this very famous story, and probably one if you've been around the church, much at all that you've heard before. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. The first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Here ends the reading. So when you know something, it's difficult to stay silent. Just ask your child to keep a secret. Am I right? Or any of us, for that matter. Hey, this is confidential. Don't tell anybody. Oh, man, it's like it's, like it's inside of you moving around. It wants to get out. It wants to come out. You want to tell... You just got to, somebody's got to know what you know. It's one of the things that ministers get t- trained on a lot is how do you keep confidentiality. And it's difficult because... You get told a lot of things, and it can become just part of what you know. And then you're talking to somebody else, and you're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oops, I wasn't supposed to say that. And over my tenure, I've had to go to people and say, I wasn't supposed to tell you that. I need you to keep that Confidential. But it's hard when you know something. And also, when you know something great, right? When you know something that, I mean, you just, I went to the most amazing concert last night. It was, wow, it just blew my mind. Or I saw this movie, you know? The special effects were just, wow. What's interesting is that we're, we're often less likely to repeat the good stuff than we are the bad stuff. You know, the juicy stuff or the negative stuff. Did you see what so-and-so did? on? Did you hear about so and nuts and such? So it's interesting. It's interesting in this Isaiah passage that it begins with, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. Because what is, is it good news? Is it not good news? We're going to come back to that. But I want to talk about something that people for millennia haven't been able to keep silent about. And that's this, the first of Jesus's what, kids? Signs. The first of Jesus' signs. It's interesting that John doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. We often call them miracles. There are, there are, there are seven Signs in in the Gospel of John. We actually think we actually when you if you study John, there are really eight miracles because the eighth one is the resurrection of Jesus, but we, we, it's not named in the Gospel of John as a sign. But on the it's, and so this is interesting. It starts out again. I like to teach you how to be critical readers of the Scripture. It's on the third day. On the third day of what? I mean, there's, there's not any context here. That's what's so interesting about this, on the third day. Well, what is that, biblical scholars? What, 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 is that, what does that remind you of? What do you hear on the third day? The resurrection. the resurrection, right? So we don't know, but again, if something's in there and it doesn't make sense, there's some, probably some reason why the writer kept it in there. So anyway, if it makes you think about the resurrection, if it makes you think about um, some things that Jesus said, because, of course, you know, this is written a hundred years almost after Jesus' resurrection. So there's been a lot of water under the bridge where now these stories are being told about Jesus. Okay, so it goes on. There's a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. This is just so interesting to me. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Why didn't he just say... Jesus' mother was there. The disciples were there. Jesus was there. Why, why, and it's just interesting how this is how it's written. Of course, we're, it's an English translation. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, "They have no wine." Just like me, Mary is a master of the obvious. They have no wine. The wine ran out. And you're probably wondering yourself now: Are these people just really drunkards? Because it's a wedding and the wine ran out. Like, how much are they drinking? Well, a wedding, in this day and time, you did not go on a honeymoon, you did, not, you did not get married and then go hop on a plane, you know, have a little party for a couple hours and then hop on a plane and go somewhere. You spent seven days partying with your friends. That was the tradition. So seven days, you've got all of your friends and family around you, and of course, at this time, the water was not very good for drinking. It could make you sick. And so, of course, it was a celebration, so you had wine, but you, you know, um, so people, people were drinking wine. So some commentators say, well, you know, part of this is they have no wine is, oh, my gosh, however many days we are into this, there's no more wine. What are people going to drink? Because water isn't good for drinking. So what are they, they going to drink? They have no wine. And Jesus says, and this is, again, so interesting, Woman, if I talk to my mother like this, right? Woman, what are you talking to me about? That would not go over so well. I don't know about you or your mother, but that, that would, yeah, that would not go over so well. Um, but, so it's interesting. Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. Uh, one, one commentator wrote about this. I wish John had, like, put a little more in this story. Like, as a writer, I wish there were, and as a reader, I wish there were more, because we just don't... There's no rhyme or reason for for what happens here in terms of then, now, what happens next. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Well, where did that come from? I don't know. I mean, there's just no context clues. There's nothing. So, again, take it for what you want. The scriptures are sometimes, you know, they're written to make a point often to tell the story, but not necessarily, they didn't write them necessarily as stories. Do whatever he tells you. So standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So what you need to know is that the Jews used water in some rituals. So they, they were supposed to wash their hands a certain way. They were supposed to wash off the, the, the plates and the cups that were used for the, the rituals in a certain way. It wasn't because they knew necess- that, they, that they were trying to make things clean in terms of the way we think of as clean because the water wasn't necessarily good to use for washing either, because they didn't, I don't know that, we don't know that they boiled it before they used it for ritual purification or any of that to get the nastiness out of it. But they were there. So this is, so this is, these are the religious, it's interesting that these are the, the, the stone water jars for the rites of purification. That's what they're there for. They are not wine vessels. I find that interesting that Jesus says, fill those up with water. Fill up these ritual jars with water. And he filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. And so the steward tastes the water and he's like, wow. This is like a, I don't know, 1983 Chateau, blah, 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 blah. I mean, this—the steward is supposed to know because he. The steward is the one who's doling out the wine. Steward is the one who's making sure everybody has what they need. That's what the steward is for in this in, at a wedding. So he tastes it and he's like, "Oh, this is the good stuff." Why in the world he's probably thinking, "Would you give these drunks a bunch of good wine?" We know from from tasting that. After the first bite of food, you sort of lose the taste for it. So that's why the first bite of your meal, if it's a good meal, always tastes better. Because on the second bite, third bite, so if you've been drinking wine for three days, it probably doesn't matter how much it's watered down on the fourth day. Right, because you've lost your taste for it. So he, so that's what they would do. They would start out with the good wine for the toasts and all that sort of thing, and then they'd move to the to the not so great wine because they they knew they would probably water it down, they, just to make it last longer. They often did that because you drank it all the time, so they would water it down, so those people wouldn't get drunk. But they're already. He says, you're you're giving them the good stuff um, after they've become drunk. What? What? what that's crazy. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Has anybody been to uh, Israel in here, besides me? No, okay. All right. Well, I know I know we've got a member who's going. Yes? Oh, good. Okay. So, did you go to Cana? Any chance? Do you remember? I don't remember. Don't remember. Okay. Probably. Okay. It's just outside of Nazareth, so... Yeah. Well, he was at a it was a wedding feast, right? And they, yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Oh, you can't get away with anything around here. But there's a there's a imagine this. I've always said about Israel that Jesus is big business in Israel, literally. Jesus is big business in in Israel. And Cana, what do you think they sell in Cana? Wine everywhere. It's this little bitty town. I mean. You know, you're dry, you drive through, and it is just wine store, wine store, wine store, wine store, wine store, wine store. It's really interesting. So that's just an aside. But just outside of Nazareth, um, all, kinds of, all kinds of wine there. So why tell this story? And why would Jesus do the first of his signs here? I mean, he sort of is reluctant about it, right? He says, he says, my hour has not yet come, so he seems reluctant, but then something moves him to, to do this, and he doesn't make a big deal of it. It's not like he grabs a magic wand and, you know, confects it. I mean, the steward doesn't even know. The only people who know where it came from were the servants who were working... For the wedding feast, they aren't part of the wedding feast. They're working for the wedding, working for, their, for whoever their owners are probably, because they're probably slaves. They're working there, so they know where it comes from. So, so in a sense, they're the ones who first get that this is a sign, that this is a miracle, that this is an amazing thing that has happened. And can you imagine what they're talking to each other about? Because the, the steward doesn't say, oh, oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad we have a miracle worker here who did this. This happens all the time. No, it is, he's like, how did this happen? Where did this come from? So imagine, I just, just imagine then those, those folks. Some writers, some commentators talk about this as reminding us that God in Jesus, he shows us that he cares about the regular things in our life. He cares about the celebrations, about the weddings, about the birthdays, about the deaths, about the illnesses, about the, the regular things that happen to us in our life that, that Jesus loves us through those ordinary things and and is and wants to be part of those things especially those celebrations perhaps i mean this is the first of his signs and what does he do he gives them wine to continue the party he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't go there's no wine who's the guy that ran out of wine who's the person who didn't order enough what about napkins did they screw that up too I mean, what is our tendency when things go sideways a little bit? We often look for who's to blame. Jesus, Jesus just goes, well, he first says, ah, it's not really my business. And then he says, oh, guess what? I'm just going to step in and, I, and we'll, just, we'll just take care of this. With generosity. He, I mean, there, what do what we say? There are six of them there, 20 or 30 gallons. I think they've got enough wine for however many days they have left, probably. Jesus Gives with such generosity here. He's not miserly. He's not calculated or trying to f- figure out who's to blame. His first sign is about generosity, about grace, about love for things that are so human like these celebrations, like this wedding, these people coming together. And this is the first sign, and this is, gets people talking because they cannot stay silent about what they've seen and what they've heard and what they know in him. And so they see this And they see him, and they begin to know him differently. They begin to see things differently and to hang on his words in a different way. In the text from Isaiah, it says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. But it hasn't been good news. They've been in exile. They've been hurting. They've been mistreated. And now... If you read it from the prophet's voice, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. I will not let this judgment. I will not let this, this oppression continue. I've got to speak out about it because this is not right. And I'm going to speak to you, God. I'm going to call you to set this right because you are the one who, the only one who can set this right. So I will not stay silent. And so, Isaiah talks about what what will happen and how Israel will be changed, but also throughout Isaiah, you uh, you hear Isaiah saying, talking about the injustice going on, the bad things happening, pointing them out and calling upon God to act. Also calling the people to get their act together. When we come to know God, not just in our head, When we see the signs of God pointing us to the amazing things that God wants for all of humanity, we should not stay silent. And when we see injustice... When we see things that are not as they should be in God's sight, first we must t- think about that and, and, and listen for where God would be leading us in that. But then we should not stay silent. But we should not just speak with our voice, we should speak with our actions. And we should be the first ones not to look for blame or to place blame you ought to be doing this, you ought to be doing that, but first we ought to act as Jesus acts, not miserly, not calculated, but with generosity, with compassion and with grace, with patience and with flexibility, that our first, our first word, so to say, our first action in not staying silent is actually to put ourselves into action. To model that generosity and that grace of God that we know that we have been given in the love and the grace that we receive in Jesus. Because you see, Jesus didn't just turn water into wine and pour it out for the people, He took His body and His life and He poured it out graciously, generously, for all people. And so we are called to do the same. And when we know him, we cannot stay silent. Amen.